Hey everyone, and welcome to Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Paul Herman, for episode 83 of our show. We're going to be talking about the Eternals. Who are they? How can they fit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? But before we get into that, I have some folks to thank. Thank you very much to Zach Butson, Brandon Coleman, and Alex. They are our latest patrons over at patreon.com slash News, which means they have access to exclusive content from our podcast that is not available anywhere else. We do Patreon credit scenes where on the, that we tack onto each episode. So, for example, this week, uh, our Patreon credit scene, we talk about that Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse trailer. Uh, those are available for just a dollar a month. There are two different weekly Q&As, depending on which tier you choose, but you can get one of those weekly Q&As for just $3 a month. We also have new features like the Daily Bugle, where every day, Monday through Friday, I talk about the latest Marvel news. It's a quick podcast, usually 15 to 20 minutes, easily digestible, and you can find that on our Patreon as well. And another thing that we're introducing with our tiers this month is the Marvel Unlimited Book Club. So we'll be doing an episode near the end of each month in which myself and or Paul or any other potential guests will be discussing uh, some story arc that is available in the Marvel Unlimited subscription service. So for this month, we're going with an Ant-Man and the Wasp theme. So we're going to be reading Nick Spencer's Ant-Man. The first five, the five issues that he did uh, that started in 2015 that was just called Ant-Man. And then when it switched, when it was retitled to The Astonishing Ant-Man and ran for about 13 issues. So it's about 18 comics in total. We're reading, going to be reading and talking about all of that for the book club this month as something to just get us all prepped for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which will be in theaters on July 6th. So all of that's available on the Patreon. Another cool feature about it is that when you are one of our patrons, you get and you get your own exclusive private RSS link uh, that you can use to, you can put that into your podcatcher to subscribe to the show that way because I put the main show on there as well along on the Patreon along with all of the exclusive content. All of it can go into one feed so you don't have to go multiple places to get all the different shows that we produce. Uh, You can get it all in via one subscription uh, by using that link in your podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. And then just make sure you're also keeping up with us every day marvelstudiosnews.com. You can keep up with us on social media as well, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. So with all that done, let's go ahead and get on with our show and talk about the Eternals. I'm so glad to be back with you, Paul, mainly because this time you did the reading. Wow. Wow, you just had to you just had to say something about about that right away, didn't you? Was I the only one who did the reading? Yes. Uh, no, not this time. No, no, not this time. Not this time. Not this time. So, of course, we are going to go ahead and talk about Eternals because we talked about this a little bit when it came up that this is on Marvel's radar and something that they are definitely taking steps to move forward with. They have writers uh, doing a script right now, and if all goes well there then they'll be turning this into a movie before too long. And obviously that is the intention right now. So we wanted to get everybody up to speed, including ourselves on Eternals. So Paul, what you and I mainly read is we read the Jack Kirby stuff as well Mm -hmm. as the Neil Gaiman Eternals Mm -hmm. thing from what was that? 2006, 2007, somewhere around Mm -hmm. there. Yep. Somewhere Somewhere in the aftermath of Civil War, clearly. Uh, yeah, it was It was after Civil War. I want to say 2006. Yeah, I think it was somewhere around there. And then um, 
I've also read a little bit of a, a little bit of Thor stuff that finished out the Jack Kirby run because uh, the Jack Kirby run was incomplete. Kirby didn't get to tell the whole story before the book just didn't. I guess I, I assume it got canceled because not enough people were buying it. I'm not really sure what the deal was, but anyway. Uh, Jack Kirby didn't finish it, so it went into Thor, and it got finished there, and then they picked up with some stuff with Avengers and some issues in, like, the 250s, and then also, like, in the early 300 issues, and then it just went from there. So we're going to go over a lot of that stuff, but we're mainly going to focus on Jack Kirby and Neil Gaiman. Let's just start in order, Paul. Let's go with Mm -hmm. the Jack Kirby stuff. What was your take when you were going through some of that? Well, to be honest, I, I was going through it and, and, you know, early comics are just kind of a hit and miss for me. Sometimes I really love them. And so, sometimes they're a slog. Unfortunately, the Eternals is a slog for me. <laughs> um, it was really slow. I mean, you didn't really get into like some of the meaty stuff until later in the arc. I only read the first like six issues. So, um, that's all I can make it through. It was, there were pretty quick reads, but I just was like, I can't take this. This is like not great. And the one thing I will always say is Jack is an amazing artist. Oh yeah. He's not, he's not a, the best writer. And, um, you know, at least, at least the stuff that I've read of his, like I haven't, you know, been super like loving it, but I know like, I think some of his DC stuff is a little bit more regarded maybe, if you will, as far as his writing. Well, certainly I, more people have heard of, new gods than have heard of Eternals, but that's also because a character like Darkseid emerges from new gods and becomes this signature DC villain, whereas there's nobody who emerged from Eternals that's on that level. (laughs) Literally nothing. And, (laughs) you know, so as, as you, people who follow me on Twitter, you'll I posted a beautiful two page spread and, and, Mm -hmm. You know the of of Jack Kirby's pencils, and what one of the things about I thought was cool about the series, just kind of random, is that they had a two page spread to open the com- like every comic, like it was always kind of some cool epic like two page thing that Jack was you know doing with the Kirby crackle and all that stuff, and it was that was cool. But as far as the characters and every and introducing the characters. Um, some of the costumes are cool, like uh, the Ajar. I'm gonna look at his name again. It's a uh, um, hold on a second. Bear with me here. Um, I have this little comic next to me, helping me out. What's his? Ah, I forgot his name. But anyway, his uh, he was sweet looking. Hurry up! It's yeah, Ajar. I was right. Okay, cool. Um, he had a sweet, sweet costume, but he wasn't in it that much. It's just Icarus in his like regular clothes, helping that girl, and I'm like, ugh. And then like you know, so it just. I mean, granted, it's a '70s comics. Like I said, there's very hit and miss. Um, I, I never, I, I couldn't get into it. I, you know, I never connected to it. Um, you know, obviously I, I got to the introduction of Ajar, Circe, um, and things like that. Couldn't really get super, super into that. But, um, you know, yeah, I just, I, yeah, the Celestials were cool that, that I, you know, that you would see here and there. And those were really cool. That to me is the big, the biggest selling point of the internals in general, which we'll get into is I think the Celestial angle is really, really nutty and really awesome. So, um, yeah, I just, I didn't connect to it as much as I wanted to. I really liked it, but I also read through. I, I read all. I read all nineteen issues that are available on Marvel Unlimited. I'm not sure if that's where it stopped for Kirby's run, but I think it did because then I picked up on the Thor stuff, which uh, you know, which picked up pretty close after that because the, the. I mean, the whole thing with Eternals is the Celestials come to Earth again, 
and it's supposed to be evaluating mankind for 50 years. Well, the book didn't run for 50 years, so uh, you know it only ran for a couple, so it didn't yeah. really have a chance to, to really see that through. So then they kind of rushed that end of the Celestials judging humanity. It worked out okay for us, by the way, in case you were wondering Ooh. how things turned out in Thor. Uh, but yeah, like it ended up being a big storyline, but it was also one of, uh, resulted in one of Odin's deaths, I should say. <laughs> there, there have been several, but the, one of Odin's death ha- uh, came as a result of all of that. But I think, first and foremost, Jack Kirby's art, y- you see why he is still regarded as the king and always will be, because uh, mm-hmm. the art is spectacular. These books are gorgeous to look at. They are not the most pleasant read when you first (laughs) get started, but that's because he's doing so much world building. So there's just a crap ton of exposition. And so, cause that's what I noticed is I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little thick here for the first handful of issues or so. But then once he got that out of the way and he was actually telling stories with the characters, it got really good and it got pretty exciting. So I would encourage you, Paul and anyone else who maybe just read or reads the first handful and isn't quite uh, doesn't quite uh, catch on to it. Keep going because it actually does get better. Uh, it does get better from there. There's just a lot of heavy lifting that he has to do with the story, and I appreciated the ambition of it in the mid '70s yeah. to tell a story of creation in Marvel Comics and to completely tell a story of creation that is different. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure that. The whole idea of extraterrestrial life beginning human life on uh, on this planet, uh, that theory I'm sure was around by then. Uh, in fact, I know it was around by then, but to see Jack Kirby take that idea and uh, tell it in his own way with, and for those of you who haven't read it, and I'll just a quick summary of, of what it was. So the, the Celestials came to Earth however many thousands or millions of years ago, whatever it was, and then they had... Uh, it was basically an ape, although not quite an ape, pretty much like a missing link equivalent of an ape in the evolutionary chain. And so then you had, and they experimented on that, and they created three species, one of them being humans, us, and then the other two being Eternals, who were immortal. And then you had the Deviants, who were shape-changing. None of them looked alike. And, and of course, they, uh, but they were like human beings. They were mortal. Uh, but they were usually, but they did have different powers and things like that. So there was a time where the Deviants actually controlled all of Earth. And then the Celestial came, and that was basically the Noah's Ark story. They flooded the Earth. They took out the Deviants. And then, uh, you know, meanwhile, the Eternals have mostly just been here monitoring the situation. They haven't been, uh, they really haven't been interfering. So it's kind of like they've been walking among us this entire time and we just didn't uh and we just didn't know it same thing with the deviants because it was before the time of modern man that they were literally washed out by the celestials and so then the celestials come back at the very beginning of this story that Jack Kirby is telling and they're in the process of this 50 year period of judgment which as i said doesn't really get completed in Kirby's run. They had to go do an abbreviated version of it to tell a conclusion in uh, in some issues of Thor. But anyway, I really thought it was, I thought there were a lot of interesting ideas in this. And I think that's the kind of thing that you want from, uh, from Marvel movies. Is I don't think there's anything here, and we'll get more into like the application of this these ideas to the MCU later on in the show, but just to briefly touch on it, I think what you can kind of see in Jack Kirby's uh, work there is, 
a really, really strong concept. And maybe not all of the ideas are executed in the way that you would absolutely love, but um, the the concept of it, though, I found pretty fascinating and, and obviously a really great creation of, uh, of Kirby's to have, take such an idea that really actually put forth a lot of bold ideas in its time. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Sean, the fact that he had to do a lot of world building. And that's what he was doing when I read the first, you know, five or six issues that I read. And I just, you know, now I want to, you know, let people know that some of this was rehash at this point for me because we had read or I had read the Neil Gaiman stuff right before that. So I felt, which I felt, and we'll get into that here in a few minutes, but the Neil Gaiman stuff, I totally, it, I think it did a, gr- a good job of explaining the internals, what they're, what they are here for in a really modern way. I mean, that's what it was built for, obviously. Right. But, um, so I was all, so I just couldn't, I just kind of, I was like, Ugh, I, was, I already know all this, you know, and back and that's a good point. I actually, I didn't even think about is that, you know, he had to do a lot of world building that I just kind of took for granted. Yeah. He's creating this whole thing from scratch. And in fact, mm-hmm. Eternals was initially when you can tell if you, as you keep going on, Eternals wasn't part of Marvel comics canon when he initially started it. I don't believe that was his intention because there is a point in the books where these college kids invent a Hulk robot and then it gets imbued with like this cosmic energy and Icarus and other Eternals, like they have to go fight it. But it's described as a Marvel comics character, like come to life. So, and, and the other heroes don't pop up in these stories. Like they, they eventually kind of retconned it into Marvel comics canon with all the Thor stuff but when it initially started, it really didn't feel like it was meant to be part of uh, meant to be part of Marvel Comics canon. It was just complete. It was really trying Jack Kirby trying to be his own thing, which just tells you how much more important the world building was because he really was creating something from scratch that wasn't going to rely on anything else that uh, that had come before it, other than maybe you know. Uh, comic book readers at the time, their headcanon for those who had already read New Gods and kind of knew that this is a almost an extension of that idea or something like that. Uh, maybe that helped for people at the time, but obviously for everybody reading it now, it is a completely it is a completely different thing. But yeah, the Neil uh, game and stuff like that that feels more movie ish <laughs> in terms of how you could see this thing getting adapted. Yeah. which I know we'll get into more later, but it still focuses mainly on the same set of characters that Jack Kirby focused on. But what is different about it is it's a little more refined because in Jack Kirby's run, pretty much every Eternal can do most of the things that the other Eternals can do. They can all fly. They're all really strong. Or I'm sorry, not fly, levitate. <laughs> they, can all, <laughs> they can pretty much all levitate. They can do... Can they- can they change uh, like uh, things in, like, you know, like in different shapes? No, like, I, uh, think, I think Cersei is the only yeah. one... I can't remember if anybody else does it in Kirby's run, but Cersei is definitely shown to do it. But that's what Neil Gaiman did is he actually took it and he made sure they were all more specialized in terms of what they could do. And, uh, but I loved what Jack Kirby did in terms of the way he tied things into, uh, the way he tied things into our mythology and the mythology of different cultures. Like when, uh, you know, one of the, the speedster of the Eternals is a character named Makari and, that's a character that we knew as like the god of as a god Mercury, uh, but of course we were mispronouncing his name is the way that Jack Kirby explains it with the name of that character. So I thought there was a lot of cool, uh, a, a lot of cool aspects of it, and I think maybe the easiest thing to do is maybe go by char- is to break this down character by character, 
and some of the ones that they focused on. Let's start with Circe because it doesn't it doesn't start with her in the books, but there have been rumors that she is going that she may end up being the focus of the uh, the focus of the Eternals movie that hasn't been confirmed by anybody from Marvel, but that's just been uh, one of the rumors. I believe the rap talked about that uh, around the time Kevin Feige at least was willing to admit that <laughs> and that Eternals was something that Marvel Studios was working on. And when I started reading this character, whether it was the Jack Kirby stuff or the Neil Gaiman stuff, I instantly thought, okay, this character can totally fit in the MCU. She's funny. She's entertaining. Her idea, all she ever wants to do is throw a party, yet at the same time, yeah. she is a badass and can handle her shit. Like, she is just a, she is such a great, uh, she is such a great and fun character. It didn't matter what era, uh, I was reading, uh, cause mm -hmm. she was also, you know, she is the, the eternal who ends up becoming a member of the Avengers in the comics. Uh, so you can certainly see why that's another, part of her history that would certainly fit well into the MCU as you're going to have an evolving Avengers roster, especially after Avengers four. So I, I think that this was a, this is a character that I think could be a lot of fun. And I, and I had a lot of fun reading her in these books. Yeah. That was the one really interesting thing about her that, that every writer kept Sean was that she was the outgoing party girl. She was always hosting a party mm -hmm. of some sorts. And, you know, she was that charismatic person of the Eternals. Yeah. I mean, even her and, modern, the modern take on yep. her with the Neil Gaiman stuff was, uh, same thing. Yeah. Know, she, she ends up being an event, you know, an event coordinator. Event planner. Or an event planner. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. So, you know, as we read the Gaiman stuff and then went back and read, you know, some of the early Avenger stuff, um, or the, the eternal stuff and then some of the Avengers stuff later on with Star Fox, it was the same, you know, the same thing. Like, oh, wow, like this has been a consistent thing. Like, and I kind of like that about her character. It kind of makes her, you know, it makes more sense that the most outgoing of the Eternals would join a team like the Avengers, you know, because she's more, she just seems more open to, to anything. And that's, and that's kind of what I think too, Sean, is like what you said about, how she probably will be the main character that they focus on with with the Eternals, with with a film. And that's what I would say. Because she just seems like the most fun to write to write. Um, mm. that's kind of the impression that I've got. Like I remember, and I've said this before too, when I read comic books in the in the in the early to mid nineties or early eighties or late eighties, early nineties, where my my heyday of comic book collecting was, um, until I got older and came back to it in two thousand four, was Circe and the Avengers. And that was like, you know, with Black Knight, Vision, Hercules, you know, Crystal from Inhumans, a really random lineup. But but Circe was on there and I remember her, you know, she was a she was on the team for a long, long time. Mm. You know? Like you had the you told me the extra credit comic books to read were the uh, the ones where she joins the Avengers in the in the early nineties yep. with Spider Man. And I remember, you know, and she was on that team pretty much up until um, you know, I'd say ninety-five. So she was on the team for a good almost five years. Mm -hmm. You know? So it was on and that's a long time when you only have one of you know, I guess two Avengers books if you count Avengers West Coast. But but yeah, no, I, I think this character is probably gonna be the main the main character. And it, 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 it just seems like they're kinda it, it just seems perfect for her. Like she already is the most you know, like I said, entertaining eternal. So the only thing is, is her power levels are weird. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, and one of the things I love about the MCU is that they really like cap these characters a, a lot better, meaning they're not so powerful. In the comics, like Scarlet Witch, 
the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, all these characters are super overpowered. And Cersei is one of those people too. Like she turns people into pigs constantly. Yeah, she does. Like it, it's it's kind of weird. Like I don't know if it's just, it, it was a coincidence. Just kind of funny. Also useful. Well, right. No, it is. But my point is, like, what, what's her power level exactly? And and one of the things I love about the MCU is that things like Scarlet Witch, things like Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet, they're toned down. Like, the Gauntlet's not as powerful as it is in the in the, in the comic book, thankfully. And that, and that's something I really I really liked. And I think that one of the things that they'll do a great job of is really figuring out these Eternals and at the, as far as their power levels go, and really kind of cap them out a little bit because they feel like like even thor right thor is a god and these people are basically gods mm-hmm. and they're but thor in the mcu is he's you know he can die like there's a whole scene in um in avengers when like you know somebody that john barely had to explain him because i'm an idiot but uh when thor breaks out of that glass cage that he's falling down in mm-hmm. And then he goes to pick up his hammer and he kind of like kind of just kind of has a moment where he kind of hesitates and like clenches his fist. And it barely told me that's him like feeling his humanity. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, that's interesting. And and I think that like like obviously Thanos can die, I'm assuming. And I'm like Thor can die. Odin died. So that's the way I kind of think, you know, whereas these eternal characters, they don't really think I don't really think that they can die. You know, they kind of talk about them in the comic books a little bit like. Gilgamesh is alive, but well, he's dead. They kind of, I mean, that's the thing is they can be completely atomized, but then eventually they'll come back together. And, yeah, exactly. But the other yeah. thing is, though, uh, is they can be injured and they could be like they could be crippled and basically be forced to spend all of eternity completely crippled. You know, like it's the thing where they can't do anything or you could bury them forever. You can do whatever like there. There are a lot of things that can happen to them. So even though they wouldn't technically die, you can still completely in, you can permanently incapacitate them. It just depends mm-hmm. on the method that you choose. But I think what's cool about her powers is I obviously it's something that's very different with the powers that she has to make things change shape and and all of those things. And I think they'll give her depending on how many other eternal characters they bring into it, they may cuz you know Marvel can do that from time to time as well as maybe give her some powers of a character they're not going to use like Hela got to use the powers of the God Butcher from Jason Aaron's Thor because they weren't necessarily going to do that character and they wanted Hela to have some weapons, so they gave her that power. Uh, You can do stuff like that with Cersei. And, of course, there's a comic book basis for it because she had a much bigger power set in the Jack Kirby uh, comics than she did in the Neil Gaiman comics. So so there's still validity in the source. uh, You're still backed up by the source material. If you want to give her a little bit more of a of a bigger power set, but at the same time, you're right, Paul. I mean, they they always temper the power sets of these characters a little bit in the movies because the movie's over if you don't. <laughs> you know, like there's no <laughs> yeah. there is no Avengers four if the the Infinity Gauntlet is as powerful in the uh, in the MCU as it is in the comics because I know he killed people with a snap just like he did in the comics, but. With the Infinity Gauntlet, he can do everything. Like he, he survives an entire onslaught from every cosmic entity in the Marvel <laughs> universe. Like, he takes them all on at once, and he wins. <laughs> like that's, you know, that's not the kind of thing that I think we we lean toward in the MCU. And I would imagine you'd have a similar thing in terms of the in terms of the Eternals. But I think Cersei is a character that that I think a lot of MC people who've grown to love. 
the Marvel or grown to love Marvel through the MCU, I think would be really uh, would really enjoy a character like Cersei. She is a lot of fun. She's a very interesting character, and I think people would have. Uh, I just think people would have a blast. I feel like she just she'll be right at home with everybody else. I mean, I can already see her talking to so many of the other characters. And obviously we know that Marvel wants to set up to have more female led franchises. We could potentially, if Tessa Thompson and everybody else gets their way an all female team up movie. And so adding more characters who can be part of that roster, uh, all of that fits, but it's not just about uh, checking the boxes and, and adding more. It's not just about the representation factor or inclusion, uh, not, Obviously, those things are important, but this is also a really cool and exciting character that audiences would be, uh, I think audiences would just have a ton of fun with. Now, the character that I have a hard time seeing in the MCU without some significant adaptation is the main character of uh, the main character of Jack Kirby's run and still one of the main characters of uh, Neil Gaiman, although Neil Gaiman focused a lot more on Cersei and uh, Makari and then. Uh, but there was still plenty of uh, plenty of Icar- uh, Icarus there. I I like this character, and it made me also feel like Jack Kirby totally got ripped off with He Man. You and I talked about that <laughs> uh, in terms of design, and certainly in terms of hairstyle. Um, but I the, the difficulty that I have with that character, and also kind of Zurus, uh, who is kind of the leader of the Eternals, he's essentially Odin. And while Icarus isn't necessarily isn't actually his son, uh, Icarus is very Thor to me, and mm-hmm. so I feel like Marvel is going to if they're going to bring that character into it, and I feel like he would be in the MCU. He may not be the main character of an Eternals movie, but I think he would show up. And if he shows up, they'll have to do a lot with that character because he is. There's just so many similarities to that character in Thor to me that. I feel like if you bring him in now, a lot of people would go, okay, so that's Thor light. Uh, you ha- so I think Marvel would need a lot of adaptation. So you, I think if you were, go- that's the one character who I think would maybe have the biggest jump uh, and the biggest difference from page to screen, just because I feel like you got to do mm. some heavy lifting there. Cause uh, just so audiences don't feel like he's completely redundant. I think the one thing about him that I like that I don't think I like, like him, you know, meaning, well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really care for the character that much. Yeah. He's a little flat too. Right. So (laughs) he doesn't make up for it with, with his personality. But this is where I think, and again, are we going to talk about the Gaiman run? Cause this kind of falls into the Gaiman run a little bit. So all at once. All right. We're just going to do all at once people. Yeah. The gloves are off. We're not talking. We're going all over the place here. No. Um, one of the things I like, at least the impression that I got from the Gaiman run, um, was Icarus was like the straight man, mm-hmm. and meaning like he was like the Scott Summer Cyclops of the ex, you know, of the Eternals, and that's the kind of the impression that I got. And I think there's some great, there's actually some great scenes with Icarus going to Circe in the comic book of mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman's run. And I and that I could totally see if you get the right, you know, actors together and you get some good dialogue in there, you, you have some great moments with these two different characters. I think that's why I think seriously is going to be that main character, because, you know, all, all the things you said, uh, Sean, but I think she's a really interesting character, because if you make her the central part and she's resisting, you know, mm-hmm. maybe like she, you know, Icarus comes to her 
you know, because that's why I think it's going to end up happening. I think this is like a blueprint for, you know, even though like they totally should have done that for the Inhumans movie, but they did a really crappy TV show instead. But anyway, um, <laughs> for the Inhumans uh, comic series that Jay Lee and uh, Paul Jenkins did, which is great. You read that. I always tell people to read that. But um, as far as to me, this is like the blueprint right here. I mean, it's right there. And I think there's some great moment stuff that you get to see the straight man talking to Cersei and Cersei being like, no, I'm not, I'm not going like, I don't, or she doesn't know who she, he is at first. Then she's like, I don't want to go. I don't want, what'd you do to my friend? All this stuff. And to me, there's some great, I think if you had those two characters play off each other, it's going to be great. And I think that's the best thing I could ask for him is to be a supporting character, but not like the main character, but he's the one that kind of drives the main character, Cersei into, you know, making the decisions that she needs to. And also the humor is great. Humor can play off that. So Icarus to me, like you said, he's very bland. He's not interesting. Yeah. And I guess you can use that if you're Marvel, because to, to your point, if you have a character who's more wild and outgoing like Cersei, it works better for, from a comedy perspective, but even from just a general storytelling perspective, if you provide some basis for comparison. You know, Cersei can't really, be, can't really seem that wild if everybody else just seems like they're right there with her step for step. But if she's doing her thing and Icarus is there like, wanting to just be more straightforward in terms of their responsibilities as Eternals on Earth then certainly like that makes that makes a lot of sense like that could that could work but so yeah, i think yeah they shift gears make icarus more of a supporting character i would focus more on cersei and then probably uh makari as well and that's what neil gaiman did neil gaiman made icarus the one kind of in charge of being creating the call to action but ultimately mm-hmm. the story really felt more like it belonged to cersei and makari and so i'd be much more interested in that um, and then that, as far as other characters, I mean, those are, I mean, and Makari is a great one because he's a speedster. The MCU does not have a speedster at the moment. They had one, and they killed him. So <laughs> <laughs> in terms of his powers, there's an open, there is a job opening for a speedster <laughs> in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Feel free to apply. Um, yeah, it, it is something that, uh, Something that Marvel could use, that that Marvel could have a lot of fun with, and this is a very interesting character. Um, not as, I mean, I feel like Cersei is the one who really drives all this, but uh, Makari would be a lot of fun to to see, especially because again, it was that Neil Gaiman did provide a great context for it, and I guess we should probably clear it up for people who haven't read it. So, what Neil Gaiman did with his run is he made it so that the Eternals didn't know they were Eternals. Uh, so it was, you know, an update of what Jack Kirby had done to where, you know, Jack Kirby had the Eternals. They were there the whole time. We just didn't know. And Neil Gaiman start, uh, created a story where they've been here the whole time. Uh, we didn't know. And many and they didn't remember. Uh, and the reason they didn't remember, we'll get into that a little bit later on, but they didn't remember that they were Eternals, only Icarus remembered, and then he was trying to get everybody back to remembering what they were and what their responsibilities were and what they needed to do. And um, so anyway, yeah, he was trying to recruit Makari and trying to recruit uh, Cersei to come in and be uh, to, to do that. And that kind of shows you how things would fit into the MCU. How do you have characters who've been alive the whole time and yet they haven't factored into 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe up until this point. Well, what if they don't know what they are? You know, they don't have this. Uh, they haven't had this awakening. You can do. You could play either scenario if you're Marvel. You could either have them. Uh, you could either have them just say they were here the whole time. They didn't feel the need to step in. Although with the events of Infinity War, that would seem a little weird <laughs> that they didn't feel like they needed to step in at that point. So uh, the Neil Gaiman thing is a potential solution for that for sure, which is they were there the whole time. The Eternals were have been here on, on Earth during this time of the MCU, but they didn't know who they were or what they were capable of. So as far as they were concerned, they were just as they were just normal, innocent bystanders like anybody else when the Avengers were dealing with Loki or Ultron or Thanos or all of these other things. So I think they're... The Neil Gaiman thing provides a, a pretty easy solution as to how the Eternals could have been present but not participating in the MCU, which is not to say that's the route they have to go. Uh, mm-hmm. There are certain things in the comics that won't necessarily happen. Like, there's not, uh, Neil Gaiman's run included Cersei's time as an Avenger, and that obviously yeah. won't be part of the MCU because Tony actually talks to her. This is in the aftermath of the of Civil War, the comic book version of Civil War. And so superhero registration was still a thing and and when tony saw it's like hey you were an avenger and seriously has no idea what he's talking about <laughs> like <laughs> you're an avenger so if you're going to be doing this and using your powers you need to register and all that and she's just like i'm not a hero i don't know anything about any of this stuff <laughs> i and, just want to party yeah exactly <laughs> so uh anyway some of that stuff you can you can take out but the idea of them having been here but just didn't know who they were and what they could do, uh, that actually is a really interesting premise to kind of jumpstart this thing. And what's also great about it is that it's not really an origin story. It's more of a story of, it's more of a path of discovery. You know, as they are learning, as characters like Circe or Macari are learning about what they are and where they come from, that's how we, the audience, are getting our backstory. So it's not like we have to go in this very linear way of, Here's the Eternals. This is what it is. Da, da, da. Which, by the way, would also be too reminiscent of the Thor franchise. Yes. Because the first two Thor films both open pretty much the same way of Odin explaining what's going, of what's about to happen in the story of like who the Asgardians were, uh, you know, what their, what their time on Earth was beforehand, and then uh, and on down the line. And obviously, Dark World was a little bit different. It wasn't about their time on Earth. It was about the Dark Elves. But... We've already had that kind of opening, so the idea of not having to open that way, that you could just jump straight into the story and then have these characters and the audience learn at the exact same time what the the entire concept of what the Eternals are, that makes a lot of sense to me. No, totally. And I think that, that to, you talk about Cersei not knowing who she is, and I think that's, again, this Neil Gaiman comic is a great blueprint to how to introduce things, like you said, Sean. I don't, you can't, you can't do like Thor again. And that's one of the things that we, that I think we love about the MCU so much, is that they don't repeat themselves. If they do, it's very, very rarely that if they do. But to me, I, there hasn't been a lot of repeating as far as like, you know, new characters with similar, you know, power levels or whatever. They're able to mix things up. Well, the you know. one time they were kind of of guilty of it though in terms of structure was doctor strange uh in terms of going True. going back to a more traditional or superhero origin story with mm-hmm. you know and even you know a lot of people thought it was very similar to iron man and there are similarities to it but to me it's not even just about the iron man stuff it's just about the way the story is mapped out felt very much like right 
early to mid 2000s superhero origin movie uh, yeah. as opposed to really telling uh telling structuring its its story in its own way. Yeah, yeah. So with this series, they you have like you said the, the ability to really build up and then to discover the, themselves as oh my god, I'm these, you know, these demigods or whatever, right? And so I think that's really fascinating because one of the things I liked about the Neil Gaiman series was uh, Makari, you know, he's, you know, he's this guy who's struggling in his life. You know, he's, he's a, he's a med, he's, he's a, you know, he's, he's a med student, I believe. Um, and he's like, or he's working like all his, all his time in the hospital. He's, you know, his, his love life's a mess, you know, and he's just kind of, and he keeps having these dreams about, you know, being an eternal or, you know, being a superhero. And I, w- I really liked the, the kind of going through, you know, kind of the story through him and Circe. It kind of goes into the story anyway, on the Gaiman story. It kind of, it starts off with Makari and you think that like, it's going to be his story. Then it kind of veers off in other people. Cause, cause there's mm-hmm. a ton, a ton of eternals. So, you know, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, I think the story of Neil Gaiman was a little bit cluttered. Because, not because it necessarily – it's like that's all the Eternals, you know, it's all of them there, right? So, I mean, they had no choice. <laughs> he had to include almost all these different like, different characters. Yeah. Well, he kind of simplified it, and it's what, it is what allowed him to focus on just a handful instead of everybody who was an Eternal at the right. time. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so, like, with – so I think Makari and Circe – you have, you know, and one thing, one of the cool things is Icarus is not the one who is, you know, lost. He's kind of knows what's going on. So I feel like you have, you know, a couple, not every eternal has to be, you know, a, you know, lost and be like, not know who they are. Right. That's one of the things, that's one of the things I think would be really cool is like, and one of the things they kind of played on is Makari and Circe have like an ongoing on and off on, on, on and off again relationship. Yep. And I think that'd be really cool to play off that in the film because yeah, they like, have no idea that they've dated and broken up like a hundred like, times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's really cool because, yeah, yeah. because there could be, it's cool because in the comic they're drawn together mm-hmm. and you're like, and, and they, you know, you think they're just like, you know, they just connect and they're, they're attracted to each other, but they've been attracted to each other forever, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's really, that's kind of a cool thing to kind of talk about and bring in a, in a movie. And, so, and I don't Absolutely. know, I think that, that to me is will be is gonna be really fascinating. So I think that I my prediction, if this really is going true, I really hope that Makari and Circe's relationship is still there and they play off that and that they both are unknown to themselves of like we are eternals. Because that's one of my favorite aspects of this book. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was a really cool way of doing it. And then as soon as I started reading that, I was like, Oh, this feels like it could really solve some issues in in the MCU. Because uh, there will yep. there will be that question. If they were here the whole time, you will have you will inevitably have people asking the question, "Why didn't they fight Thanos?" <laughs> like it's gonna, you're, <laughs> you're just gonna have it. And so this is a great they uh, may show it's, up. it's a great solution to it. But also, it's a very interesting story because the villain of the Neil Gaiman situation, like they had different villains in Jack Kirby's run. Jack Kirby focused a lot more on the deviants. Um, and he fo- and on the Celestials. The Neil Gaiman thing doesn't really deal with the Celestials much until the very end. Um, it you know the Celestials are there constantly in the Jack Kirby thing, uh, but that did present some interesting ideas that I want to that I will circle back to. But 
the villain in Neil Gaiman's run is another Eternal named Sprite, uh, which I don't know. Can you use that name? I don't care. Like, it's know. also known as AKA Loki Light. Oh, oh. <laughs> so Dite. funny because pretty much Sprite. what he is. Um, <laughs> Sprite. <laughs> well, but he is an interesting character because yes, he he is he fits the mold of the trickster absolutely. But we also know that in the comics, especially because it wasn't that long ago, Loki came back as a kid. And so instead of having Loki be a kid, well, here's somebody who's kind of like Loki, but he already is a kid. But he has to live eternity and live out eternity as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, and he doesn't like that because there are things that 12-year-old boys are very much preoccupied with that he doesn't get to do because he'll always look like a 12-year-old boy. And so... Mm-hmm. Because that really is like where Neil Gaiman went with that story. He ultimately just wanted girls. He wanted to be. He wanted to stop being an Eternal so that he could age, and that way he could go and get laid. That was his number. One, that was one of his primary motivators. I know it's not the deepest motivator, but for somebody who does spend eternity as a twelve-year-old, I think most people kind of understand where he's coming from. <laughs> They'd probably expand on that a bit uh, for the movie motivation uh, if they were to use a character like Sprite. And I actually don't think that they would. But yeah, I don't think they you don't either. have to use him. But he was the one who pulled the trick on all the Eternals. He was the one who made them forget, uh, who made them forget who they were. And then he was working with the Deviants because uh, that's where the, the Deviants were more supporting villains in Neil Gaiman's run. And he he used them to try and uh, try and keep the Eternals down, especially Icarus, who had learned uh, who was the first uh, Eternal to re- actually remember who he was and what they all were. And was trying to get everybody else to remember. So you don't have to use that character. You can have some other character be the one who is ultimately behind it. Um, But I thought that I still think there is value in that character of Sprite. I think it is an interesting character. But I don't know that you can sell a movie with a villain that has a name that's the same as a popular soda. I I don't know if that works. They might might just give him a different name or something like that. Yeah, but also the thing is like... You'd have to, in order in order to get a like the actor would have to be lights out like so good I mean maybe the greatest child actor of all time in order to pull that off because in order to come across as not only a, it's not just it's not the same as just coming across as a bratty twelve year old a lot of people can come across as a bratty twelve year old but to come across as a bratty twelve year old who also has is also weary who also has a certain like who again has lived for thousands of years like that that's not an easy thing to do i don't even know if there's an actor capable of it uh yeah. I, I, I just don't know maybe there is I, I would hope so but i think you you take a huge risk on that of not getting the right actor to, they won't to even pull that off so I, yeah I, I think they'd skip that part of it I'm trying to think who they, you know, there's different things you could do. Um, like, I almost think, like, there could be, like, a King Deviant. Like, I know, like, there's, like, there's, like, obviously in that in the Kirby run. Yeah. I think that's, there's, they'll go more of that route. And, again, that kind of treads on Thor territory, you know, with the, with the Frost Giants a little well, bit. what you could do is you could still have, be, have Sprite be the one who erased their memories, but he but could. But too much ha- like Loki. Yeah, but he, well, did did he erase people's memories in... No, no, but I mean, he's but, it, but he's just it, it to but, me. But he, having he, that, well, mo- he doesn't have to be the main villain though. He could have just done oh, it. Gotcha. For, he yeah, could yeah. have done it for the deviants because they promised him something. 
but still the main guy behind it. So rather than having ah. you just flip the roles. So instead of Sprite being the being the main villain supported by the deviants, you have the deviants being the main villains, and then they they, they work with Sprite. Yeah, that would. Again, trading on Loki territory, but I could see that working a little bit more. And then he could like sacrifice himself in the in the movie to like you know because he he you know he did something wrong because he's not to me sprites is not that interesting. Like that's probably to be honest, that's probably my least favorite part of the new Gaiman stuff is like it kind of falls short for me. There wasn't it was a clever not a clever I wouldn't say but it was it was different and I thought it was you know very very uh, human what Sprite was doing um, and the motivations. And I mean, like it's very like interview with a vampire, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same, at the same time, I just didn't, it just didn't really connect to me. And I felt there was so much cool stuff in it with like the celestials and everything that I almost feel like where else could they go with this? I, don't, I just think there's more. And so I don't know. I, I think Sprite, I just don't think you could use them. Like, like you said, I think having a 12 year old, or even if you cast him a little bit older, he was like, you know, but that would kind of defeat the purpose. If he, if he was like 16 years old, you know, I mean, whatever. But even if they cast him a little bit older, I just I just think it'd be a hard time selling him as a villain or even helping as a villain because he's just not – again, he's too much like Loki and he's just not, he's just not that interesting. Well, So yeah. in my opinion. Well, you know, I, I agree with that and I think he also makes the story a little too small, which is not a joke because he's 12 years old. Like, it's, Yeah, no pun intended. He made that. I agree with you in that. That was the one. There, there was a little bit of a downside for me on the Neil Gaiman story, which was when it became just that. It, it boiled down to this kid, uh, who's obviously not a kid, but whatever. Although the last scene between Sprite and Zurus is is pretty damn great. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. that scene in the Neil Gaiman run is 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 awesome. Yeah, I will agree. We're, but yeah. uh, but Spoiler aside from alert. that, you know, like I, what I loved about the Jack Kirby stuff that I do hope isn't lost when you bring this into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it, it's the bigger ideas. The, there are bigger ideas in the Jack Kirby run. I already talked about the idea of creation, but also the Celestials themselves. The Celestials are not villains in the story. They are basically, they are there to pass judgment, but their judgment is based on uh, all of eternity, you know, of uh, you know, the worthiness of these, this gift that they've given. Like, human life is a gift that they gave to the world, and now they're here to see, uh, and every once in a while they pop back in to see if that gift is being used properly or if it's being misused. And there are scenes in Jack Kirby's run that really tests uh that really tests humanity and it really tests uh our resolve it tests our ability to deal with one another to deal with threats because uh, that ultimately is where things really start going crazy is there's so much paranoia in the world that people that people start wanting to attack celestials they start wanting to respond violently uh, respond to each other violently respond to the celestials violently and obviously that doesn't bode well for earth's 50-year judgment uh, which, of course, again, it, I wish Jack Kirby could have really finished it, but uh, yeah. But anyway, there those big ideas because we talk a lot about our world today and and how things are going, and most people don't think things are going all that great because we have a lot of issues that are constantly being talked about uh, and hopefully eventually worked on. But anyway, uh, when you think of all those things that have been going on, certainly those those big ideas, those big themes, could play right into 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's not a way of saying let's make it political or anything like that. There are just, we all know that there are simple human issues, regardless of which side you fall on in a given debate. There are many human issues that we're trying to deal with right now. And uh, mm-hmm. that because we are all, and I should, I say right now, but we are always trying to deal. There are always big human issues that we try to deal with that, that transcend uh, politics and culture and everything else. And so when you look at something like that with Eternals, you have big, there are big ideas that Jack Kirby put in those. And I feel like you can still, you can have all the fun of Circe, but you can still have uh, her be mindful of that. Icarus be mindful of that. And those big ideas, which that didn't have as much to do. That wasn't as big of a part of the Neil Gaiman run. And I would like to see, uh, and that's why I think there should be a mixture. There's good stuff in the Neil Gaiman run that they can take. There's good stuff Mm -hmm. from Jack Kirby that they can take. Obviously, the design of the film is going to be very heavy Jack Kirby because why the hell wouldn't it be? Um, especially after Thor Ragnarok. I mean, there's always been tons of Kirby influence in the MCU, but it went on, it went to another level in Ragnarok and can go to yet another level still uh, with, uh, with Eternals. But it's not just about the, the visual design of it. I think uh, in terms of the, the bigger ideas and themes, there's plenty of stuff to be mined from Kirby. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, again, going back to Kevin Feige's leadership and what we've gotten in these bajillion of movies we've gotten so far in the MCU is that Kevin Feige knows how to cherry pick the good from these stories and when to go, you know what, I'm going to switch it off a little bit, you know, even though I may not agree with everything that he's done. Like, for instance, let's go back to Star-Lord. Okay, I don't like the fact they made Star Lord a little bit younger. I wanted a more, I wanted a more grizzled veteran Star Lord, like older than, older than Chris Pratt, like maybe in his mid mid forties, mid late forties, because that's the comic character that I that I was introduced to him, and that that's what he was being written as when I was reading the comics. But they didn't, you know. But they took that whole concept concept of Guardians of the Galaxy and what this kind of, uh, I would say, a little bit of a cult comic. And, and exploited, say exploited all the great things about it, mm-hmm. and then twisted a, a few of the little th- other little things, and made it into a giant, huge franchise. I think that this, this Eternals will be no different. I think that there's great stuff in both Jack Kirby and Neil Gaiman right here. I think the whole, you know, celestial, you know, huge, you know. Uh, the whole that whole thing with like you know with the celestials and and just how big and huge it is. There's there's great stuff in there. And if one thing we've noticed is Ragnarok was kind of almost like a testing ground, if you will. I mean, sure you could say that same same thing about Infinity War, but to me, Ragnarok is a great testing ground for all the stuff. It's like a very light version of just kind of it's like the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. Of what you can do. With Marvel and the on the craziness that's in not just Marvel, any kind of major comic book in DC too. Like it shows that it's out there. People are as long as it's good writing, the concepts and the designs are all there and they, they will eat it up. And it's and that's to me is what I think that they'll do with this. I think they're gonna take these concepts of the Eternals and they're gonna they're gonna, you know, morph it into what they need it to be. And I think that as far as, you know, to me, I think if you keep it like with that grand scale with the Celestials, you know, I, I really think that's where they need to go because like we haven't seen too much of them in, in the films. They've been teased a little bit in the films mm-hmm. and we can get some exp- explanation of what they are in the films. And maybe we'll get that in Avengers 4. But to me, like going big with that would just 
to me just seems like the the most logical step even if it's not like a celestial gone rogue himself they have to stop it but someone's controlling the celestial like maybe it's a deviant or something like Mm -hmm. that And, and that's the other thing too is like you know, going into the deviants that this is more of a Jack, you know, heavy, heavy Jack Kirby thing was where they fight in the first, you know, issues that I'm reading. And they're kind of, they're not really a, they're a player in the, in the guy and stuff, but they're not like the main, the main prop main villains. Like you said, it was Sprite. What I'm, one of the things you have with the deviants is you have fodder for the heroes to beat the crap out of. And, you know, I, I hate to, I hate to bring that up because a lot of people will love to criticize those those things like the 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 henchmen or you know you had the 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 uh, Shatari in Avengers one mm-hmm. the Ultron drones in Avengers two and you have you know you didn't really, you didn't really have that in, in Infinity War thank God and so with with this you kind of have a fodder for these you know for the Eternals to go after uh, but I don't think that's bad necessarily either because I go to these movies so I can see superheroes be superheroes right I want to see the Eternals let loose and so I, again the deviants are going to be a big part of this as well in my opinion so you know as far so I think to me it's all there you have the fodder for the heroes to beat the crap out of you've got a really crazy story idea mm-hmm. with the Celestials and and again, I'm sure before we leave, we're going to talk about the tie-in with the, with the Eternals and what they represent, but um, in other characters. But yeah, there it's all there, you know. And I think that Kevin is probably going to mine this series, this Neil Gaiman series, and probably take some other elements of the Celestials a little bit more prominently in that series too. I really, I really, Kevin Feige hasn't let us down yet, has he? I mean, no. After ten years, he hasn't, and. The even though I will I gotta be, I gotta stress this before we move on, Sean. I will say this if they are gonna make a movie of this, which I think this is like this is like a reserve for X Men, in my opinion. I really do think so because I think if they get, if they if this Fox deal you know prey goes through, which don't know if it's gonna happen, but if it does, then this doesn't this never gets made. There's no way. But if it doesn't get made. And then the Eternals gets made. I'm not. This is not a series that excites me. Could it's, could Kevin Feige excite me about it? Yes, he's done it before. But I'll be honest. Just reading these comic books, they're not my favorite. They're they're characters that I'm not like. Yes, you know, I'm not like. I can't wait to see this movie. I'm a little. I'm a little pissed off that you know if maybe it was Pearl Mutter who had to put the Inhumans on the stupid TV series and ruin <laughs> that chance for us. No, I'm being serious. Yeah. Like, I cause no, I, I get where you're that's, that's what it kind of feels like. No, I mean, I don't feel like this is a replacement thing and I don't believe it. Eternals is just a holding action for X-Men because Eternals can come together pretty quickly. They're writing a script right now and they could, I mean, obviously it's going to go through multiple drafts. It may go through multiple writers our multiple writing teams that tends to happen with Marvel scripts as well. So it just kind of depends what's going to happen. Uh, you know, what ultimately is going is going to happen. We'll see how fast it comes together. But the fact that it's already at the stage right now of getting a script, it could potentially, depending on what happens, it could come together fast enough to where they could be in production on this next year at some point and be releasing an Eternals movie in 2020 or possibly 2021 which would still be way ahead of anything with X-Men because they can't do anything with X-Men until the deal closes. And even if Comcast doesn't screw things up 
uh, and take the deal from Disney and, and we and we don't end up in a situation where the rights automatically revert back to Marvel or anything like that. Um, you know, even if Marvel gets these rights for, for the deal to close, you're still looking at year probably probably still roughly a year, maybe a little less if things get going quickly and, and again Comcast doesn't screw things up too badly. But still, that's a long time before you can even start working on X-Men stuff. Because until that happens, like that's when they actually get to start working on the stuff. They could cheat a little bit, you know, a few months before the deal is going to close. But that's it. And so the X-Men stuff is is pretty far away. I think Eternals could still have... I don't think it, whether or not Eternals happens, I don't think it's dependent on what happens with the Fox deal and X-Men. I do think it really comes down to... Uh, how good is this script? If they come back with a, if it comes back with a great script and they have a direct, they find a director who's excited to make it and has a good take on the material, then they're going to go and do it. If they don't end up with those things, then yes, it is going to get skipped in line by something else. And right now, something else would be something that Marvel Studios already controls. But eventually, yes, X Men could jump it in line. But I don't think it would be cut be because Eternals was always a placeholder. I think it would just be because. Uh, you know, Eternal, they, they tried with Eternals and they just couldn't get it to, they just couldn't bring it all together uh, with a script. But usually when we start hearing about uh, a movie this far along at Marvel Studios, and I know it's not that far along anyway, but if it's, when we even begin to hear about it, it ends up happening. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, we were hearing about it uh, a few weeks before Comic-Con in 2012, and then we heard about it, and then they officially announced it, and boom, it was happening. And so... I think Eternals maybe could be something that they announce on their slate right after Avengers four. And it's something that they are about to go shoot all of that thing. All of that, I think is an actual reasonable uh, possibility at this point, but I want to get into a couple of other things that could potentially that are part of the Eternals history in the comic books. And then they may or may not end up being, end up factoring into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. See, because the reason why I knew more about Eternals isn't because I read the Jack Kirby stuff and I hadn't even read the Neil Gaiman stuff. I had heard of Eternals and I knew kind of roughly what it was, but my the main context for me with the Eternals is that uh, Thanos' dad is an Eternal, so, Than- so therefore Thanos and his brother are also consequently Eternals or half-Eternal. Uh, and the reason Thanos looks the way that he does, you've heard us talk about deviance. Thanos has a deviant gene. That's why he doesn't look the way that people on Titan, at least in the comic books, looked. They look more like, uh, you know, they look more like perfect human beings is essentially what they look like physically. Uh, and that's not what Thanos looks like. So anyway, uh, so I knew more about they I knew more about Thanos and Star Fox's ties to the Eternals, but as I mentioned before, when Jack Kirby originally did this stuff, it wasn't really part of the Marvel Comics canon, or at least it seems like it, it seems to me like it wasn't. And so when it became part of the Marvel Comics canon, the retcon was that there were two kind of leaders of the Eternals at one point or two people who were had the perspective of or had the potential to be to lead the Eternals. One was Zurus, who ended up being the leader of the Eternals on Earth. The other was Alars, who is the mentor, that is Thanos's father. And so when the Eternals ultimately chose Zurus as their leader on Earth, Alars decided that he didn't want to have there to be any division 
amongst the Eternals. He didn't want anybody who wanted him to be the leader to turn on Zurus or any of the other Eternals. So he decided to leave. Uh, he left Earth, and then he went to Titan, and he found Suisun, and that was who ended up being, of course, the mother of Star Fox and Thanos. They fell in love, and they led, uh, you know, they they helped kind of resurrect Titan as uh, as this livable place. And then, of course, they had their children, and then the rest was history, including Thanos wiping most of them out, including his, his mother. Uh, but anyway, I don't know if we're going to get any Eternals ties to Thanos in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is, via that comic book retcon, Thanos has direct ties to the Eternals in, in terms of his bloodline. I don't know if we're going to get that in the MCU. If we are, though, then that would lead me to believe that we're going to see we're going to see the Eternals pop up in some way in Avengers Four. Now, I put that more in like the long shot category, but it has to be on the radar just based on Thanos's connection to the Eternals in the comics and the fact that the Eternals are that is something that Marvel Studios is very actively developing right now. Yeah, so what I think with the Eternals and, and the whole connection with Thanos, I think it gets brought up in Infinity or Infinity War two or whatever you want to call it. I think that it's mentioned like we're going to get more of Thanos's origin, kind of like Wakanda, right? Wakanda was sprinkled throughout the MCU. I kind of think the Eternal name is going to get dropped in the next film. So that's my prediction. That we're and we may even see we maybe we'll even see Star Fox or we probably won't but I mean or we get some kind of reference to his brothers and how you know Thanos is a is not exactly a you know just a regular alien being he's like a, he's a freaking eternal he's a he this, this guy isn't gonna be hard to take down there's got to be some reference point like. Like Thor, like, you know, Thor probably can go and, and re research and be like, you know, you know, he's eternal. That's what he is. You know, he knows them. Perhaps it would make sense, mm. you know. And and so that's where I think is going to end up happening. We're going to get a little teensy morsel of eternal nuggets in the next film. It's going to be very small, only pertaining to Thanos. And that's why I think it's cool that. You know, it's kind of been retconned in the past that Star Fox and Thanos are now Eternals. Thanks to that, those Avengers comics that were read, which, by the way, I love those Avengers comics. They were great. Um, a great example of 70s or early, or early 80s comics that work for me. I love the era of the 80s, whatever. But, um, you know, I love that idea of the fact that, you know, Thanos is going to be they're going to look to him as like this guy is maybe not a god. But he's pretty close. And that's something that I can't wait for Thor to maybe explain to the Avengers in the next movie. So that's something that I'm looking forward to regarding that is seeing kind of a little bit of those nuggets into the movie itself in the next uh, next year. Yeah, I, I think it would be really interesting to see what what we do, what hints we do or don't get at the Eternals. And, and I, sh I should completely stress there's probably a really good possibility that we have no mention of anything related to the Eternals in Avengers 4 because I still believe that Avengers 4, the, the, the main point of all of this is about providing a conclusion to what will at that point be the first 11 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it won't. It's not going to necessarily be about setting up what's next, but if they feel like that, if they feel like there's still more to add to Thanos' story... 
and they want to add some of his family connections and everything into there, uh, if it helps uh, improve and enrich Thanos' story in Avengers 4, then I think they would have included it. Uh, if it doesn't, then I yeah, I don't think they would have put it in just for the sole purpose of getting people excited about what's next. It would have to serve a function in Avengers 4, but there is potential that it could, so that's why I'm just going to throw it out there as something that could happen. And And once they retconned the whole Eternals and their place in Marvel Comics canon, it was it, it was still a while though before Cersei joined the team. It was because somebody it was because Gilgamesh, another Eternal uh, that the Avengers were working with, he was injured, and all they could think to do was, "Hey, Cersei's in New York. Let's see if she can help." Uh, she couldn't. She's partying in New York. Yeah, <laughs> she couldn't. So they went in there, but that still introduced Cersei back into the fold of the Avengers, and then. Uh, and then not long after that, she ended up becoming a member of the team and then stayed on the team for, uh, for a while. So again, she had, she had tenure on the Avengers for sure. And, and so I think that's something that we could absolutely see, uh, for her in the Marvel cinematic universe is, yeah. uh, introduced in the first Eternals movie. And then by the next time we have an Avengers movie, Cersei could be on the team. Uh, it really could happen that quickly for the character because that's, uh, you know, she had a place on the team in the comic books. And we know we're going to have, uh, we know that Avengers 4 is going to end with some characters being dead or retired. And so there are going to be more job openings, just like there's a job opening for a speedster. <laughs> there's going to be job openings for <laughs> Avengers that are going to get filled. And there's always going to be job openings on the Avengers because, Characters are going to, you know, have their time in the story and then kind of move to the side a little bit and other characters are going to come to the forefront. And I think that is really smart on Marvel Studios part. I think that's why they are where they are right now is that they haven't been afraid to continue to introduce new characters. And, you know, you mentioned, Paul, that you read the comics and you don't necessarily you know, when you look at Eternals, you don't necessarily see something that total, that really excites you about a movie about those characters. But yeah. I think, you know, I think that the, I know it, it's, it's different for you because there are so many more characters. And, and for me as well, there are so many more characters that you and I would be excited about compared to the general moviegoer. But at the same time, the experience is similar because it is, yeah. you know, general audiences had no idea who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. And now they're all household names and audiences love them. Uh, a lot of people didn't necessarily know. They heard the name Captain America. They didn't know a lot about that character. Didn't hurt, maybe heard the name Iron Man. Most of the time probably thought it was a Black Sabbath song, but then, yep. then they see the movie. <laughs> and now Iron Man is among the biggest superheroes in the world. And, and so Marvel has made a habit of introducing audiences to characters they either don't know at all or barely know, and maybe wouldn't necessarily be all that excited about it. It's kind of the funny thing of, uh, I hear people say this all the time when they criticize a movie that doesn't do well, or if they are talking or a movie that they don't want to happen, they'll always say, nobody's asking for this movie. And I'm like, well, people don't ask for most movies that, you know, people yep. don't have to ask for the movie. The point is that you have to make them eventually want the movie by making a good movie and then and marketing it properly. And Marvel Studios does that over and over and over again. So I trust that they will do it all over again with Eternals. And so and Marvel has done that for me. Like I I knew who the Guardians were. And when I read the comics, when I knew that they were going to make it, that they were going to make the movie, I went and I read more comics. And I'll admit 
I was more excited by the Guardians comics I read than I was by a lot of this Eternal stuff, but there was still a yeah. lot that I, I am excited about in Eternals, and there are big ideas. It's just a matter of expanding on those ideas, plusing those ideas, and that those are things that Marvel does all the time, and that's mm-hmm. why they have nothing but trust as far as I'm concerned. As you said, Kevin Feige yep. just doesn't let us down. He knows what he's doing, and he finds the right people. He's going to find the right filmmaker to come in and do this. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that we're all going to ultimately walk away from it being really, really happy. And all of a sudden, we're going to be bigger fans of the Eternals. Because I know that's happened for me in the MCU a few times, not uh, with Guardians and some other characters, where I walked out of the movie being an even bigger fan. I walk out of the theater an even bigger fan of that character than I was when I walked in. Uh, and I think we'll we'll see that again with uh, with the Eternals. I, I hope so. And I, like I said, I... I... I'm looking forward to read to you know reading watching the movie eventually if it if it gets made Be- again. But like I said, I, I do, like you you said it best, Sean. There's not really to me. There's more. There's different characters that I want them to explore. This isn't this is not exactly a story that I would preferably want. But at the same time, like I've been pleasantly surprised. Like the solo film, I didn't ask for a solo film. You know, I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, I was fine with it, but I, I ended up loving it way more than I ever thought I was going to. And I think, you know, it's the same thing could happen with the Eternals. Like, I might be like, well, I don't know about this. And then I end up falling in love with the story because they do a great job job of world building and the special effects could be awesome where they, you know, really get you know, a lot of celestials in the film. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, that would be a, a geek out moment for me. And so there's lots of cool things you could do with this, this, this comic. It's just not just reading the comics itself doesn't get me excited, but we'll see what they can do in the MCU if they get made. Yeah, I mean, there were things about the comics that definitely excited me. And it's it's just more of, as I was saying throughout the show, just I think if you pull the best of the Jack Kirby stuff with the best of the Neil Gaiman stuff and mix in some of the other stuff that got added when those characters were incorporated into Marvel Comics canon with the Avengers and stuff like that, like I think there's I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great material here. It's just a matter of putting it all together in a great script and then turning that into a great movie. And that's the kind of just, those are just things that Marvel studios has made a a very strong habit of. So I'll just count on them to, I'll count on them to do it again. Uh, But that is where we are going to go ahead and wrap up this week's show. Stay tuned for our Patreon credit scene exclusively at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, where we will be talking about that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer. Uh, And then make sure you keep up with us every day, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News, and Twitter at Marvel Newscast. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.